Welcome to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the queer James Bond podcast. I'm Shane Holland. And I'm Andrew Wheeler. On this episode, we're returning to the world of Cleopatra Jones, and I'm so excited. The 70s black exploitation special agent with the high fashion flair for the second and final entry in the Cleo uh. canon. Oh, so, so upsetting. This is Cleopatra Jones and the Casino of Gold. But before we enter her majestic gates, Andrew, have you been <laughs> up to anything very Jonesy this week? The jonesiest thing that I've been up to, and we we touched on it a little bit uh, in, a, in a previous episode, I've become a little bit addicted to thrift shopping. Um, <laughs> because it's fashion, darling, and that's all the, the you know, the constant costume changes uh, are everything uh, Cleo. So, uh, yeah, I I just really find, because I've, I've lost a bit of weight over the past year, it's now much easier for me to go thrift shopping than it was before, because there are more oh. things in my size. Um, and I found a very good thrift shop near me that uh, that you know has a pretty good turnover of stuff um, and I've been able to get some real finds there so I've been very happy both for me and for others like your fabulous uh, winter coat and yes. uh, some some lovely shoes for for our friend Grant so yeah it's uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to find and and give new life to old clothes and to know that even though some of these things are fast fashion you are not actually perpetuating or adding to uh that that uh that burden of the world you know it's it's much i i would much rather buy cheap clothes from thrift than buy cheap clothes from winners amen i really enjoyed our trip to the thrift together i got this adorable mm-hmm. uh, white lacoste tennis bag which you know i guess may be out of season but I, damn it if i am not going to carry it everywhere with me <laughs> what about you what's the jonesiest thing you've done this week honestly the jonesiest thing i've done uh this week is having the need to punch Nazis. Um, (laughs) Our city and Ottawa in Ontario, Canada, have been invaded by this uh, flu trucks clan, the free dumb convoy, uh, just the the lowest of the low the pro covid movement the pro the the pro covid anti-choice movement. Uh, It's it's been infiltrated or it was started by white nationalists and fear mongers. And, you know, this has been something, I think actually two or three years in the making, this basically white nationalist rally that was supposed to descend and create chaos in Parliament Hill. And it worked. <laughs> and there's been like death threats yeah. and not la- literal Nazis roaming the streets in Canada, feeling emboldened. Uh, yeah, so nothing makes me feel like we need some ass kicking heroes like Cleopatra Jones more than ever. Yeah, I mean, especially like there have been a lot of reports of incidents of, of racism, people targeting Asian communities. Um, also targeting health workers specifically. I mean, what kind of a scumbag do you have to be if you're on the wrong side of healthcare? It's so bizarre right? to if, me. If you're the one um, blocking ambulances from doing your job, maybe you're wrong. Let's move on to something much more exciting. For every episode of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we recommend a cocktail that matches the theme of the episode, or maybe it just matches our mood. And this week, it's Andrew's turn to pick. Andrew, what have you got for us? So, because uh, we're doing Cleopatra Jones and the Casino of Gold, which is set in Hong Kong, and because uh, we're just a little bit of 
about a week into uh, the Lunar New Year, so you know we, we're still in the start of a new lunar year. Uh, it seemed like a good time to talk about Baiju. Um, Baiju is a tough one on a palate that is not familiar with it. I have a bottle of Baiju that I bought mainly to see if I found it more palatable than, than the last time I had it. I still <laughs> am not quite there yet, um, but maybe this is a good time to talk about how sometimes racism can influence uh, how we talk about you know, other palates, other other tastes. Um, Baiju is an intensely funky, clear Chinese spirit, usually made of fermented sorghum. And like most intensely flavoured alcohols, it is an acquired taste, and I haven't acquired it. But I'm not here to trot out any of that fear factor, let's be grossed out by other cultures' palates nonsense. No more Joe Rogan in our lives, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's so easy to fall into those traps, and it's lazy to fall into those traps. So, like, the first time I tried Fernet Branca, uh, that bottle lasted about five years in my kitchen and now I actually love that bitter herbaceous little bad boy so if something's unfamiliar that doesn't mean it's bad it just means you haven't adapted to it and especially when we're talking about alcohol like did you like beer the first time you drank beer like no wine uh, vodka do I even still like tequila So that said, I, I do struggle to get past the pungency of Baiju. It, to, to my senses, it feels like it has these, these notes of rotten garbage on a hot day, which is <laughs> really selling it. <laughs> it's a real tough sell. But I also love plenty of foods that evoke garbage to other people. Like there are cheeses, beers, teas, cruciferous vegetables. Like we can learn to get past our own stigma. Funky is not a, a bad word in food. Um, and I've never tried Baiju in a cocktail, and I wasn't even sure if it was possible because it's such a strong flavor. But I went to a website that's called uh, drinkbaiju.com, and they have many, many cocktail suggestions. Unfortunately, a lot of them are very complicated and demanding, and I didn't want to go out and buy some banana liqueur or make my own lemongrass syrup to uh, to create a drink. So I fa- looked for the most simple cocktail that I could find that uses things I already have in the house, and what I found was the Sichuan Spritz. And this is so simple. It's equal measures of Baiju and Campari topped with a fruit soda. Um, oh, and that's wow. it. Very simple. <laughs> Very simple. But the bitterness of the Campari definitely stands up with the, the, the funk of the Baiju. The rotten flavors are mellowed out. The citrus comes forward. The Campari oh. brings a bit of brightness to the drink that's usually a very earthy drink. Uh, it's not going to appeal to every palate. Even with the sweetness and the fizz of the soda, uh, it does have both bitterness and funk. But it's a pretty good gateway drink, I think, to familiarize, self, familiarize yourself with the complexities of Baiju. And you can always add more soda to it if you need to. I should also say that the drink made my lymph nodes kind of tingle in a way that makes me think I might be allergic to sorghum. But, <laughs> mm, you know, that's, that's just that's just drinking for you. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I, uh, uh, who doesn't drink or do things that they're allergic to? I mean... I own a cat, and I probably shouldn't, <laughs> and uh, I smoke, and I have asthma, so, you know. Uh, wow, this sounds <laughs> this sounds so interesting. I, I have heard of Baiju, I've read about Baiju, but I've never ha- tried it, uh, because it is not readily available. You must have gone uh, deep mm. to find uh, your own bottle. Uh, but interesting that, that you can just mix it with... Camparian fruit juice and I and I mean just based on the other things you say you can mix it with it sounds like you really need something super uh sweet and herbal to match it uh yeah and as it is difficult to build your own home bar if you don't want to spend hundreds of dollars for, so that you can use half an ounce of something uh but maybe between us we can find some interesting ways to uh to use this 
And at the very top of this pyramid of blood and dope and sin and gold, the most evil woman in the world, the empress of crime. It makes no difference to me how you die. But now she's met her match and more in six feet two of dynamite. That was a clip from the trailer for Cleopatra Jones and the Casino of Gold, the 1975 movie directed by Charles Ball and written by Max Julian based on characters created by Bill Tennant. And he was very clear about including that because he did not (laughs) have anything to do with this film. The movie stars Tamara Dobson in her second and final appearance as Cleopatra Jones and sees the return of Albert Popwell and Carol Kenyatta as Matthew and Melvin Johnson. Mm. The movie also stars Nitian as Mi Ling, Stella Stevens as Bianca Javin, Norman Fell as Stanley, Chen Shi Lin as Madalina, Christopher Hunt as Mendez, Suda Chen as Shen Chan, and John Chung as David Chang. We raved about the original Cleopatra Jones movie in episode 21. You can go back and check that out if you haven't heard it already. And we gave it a score of 6 out of 007, which is the highest score available to a non-Bond movie under our idiosyncratic scoring system. So Shane, you had never seen either of the Cleo movies before we launched this podcast. How did Casino of Gold hold up to your expectations? You know, I was a little nervous going into this because Cleopatra Jones was such a revelation. And, you know, reading about it, this one does have poor reviews in general. Plus, it came out past the peak of the black exploitation genre. So it very easily could have felt unimpressive, underwhelming, uh, already past its prime. <laughs> but. I've got to say, once again, (laughs) I was gobsmacked at how fun and witty and glamorous and different this film was. Uh, I really feel like it's a shame that there aren't more Cleopatra Joneses, at least not a third, to round out the trilogy. Uh, And it's a shame that we just don't have a whole slew of female-led spy-fi films beyond this era for such a long time not until really recently have we kind of embraced that again but oh my god it is just so much fun to see i absolutely loved it hooray (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about it let's So we open on panoramic views of Hong Kong Harbour as an uncredited female vocalist sings Playing With Fire. Uh, The music is by Dominic Frontier. I mean, just hearing the opening sounds of this song, I was nervous about the upcoming (laughs) racism already. (laughs) And then I wrote, oh, I love this song. (laughs) Yes, it is so groovy. I mean, literally the the lyrics include Shabnaduda. I mean, how can you not love a song that has the repeated refrain of Shabnaduda? (laughs) Oh, it's the song that captures the feeling of casinos in the 70s. It's this or Austin Powers. Turn either of them on and you know exactly what kind of vibe this is going to (laughs) be. And yeah, it does. The movie does open with like sort of a gong sounding and a big dragon on the screen and you're like oh no oh boy <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i will say i don't think like i even i having not watched this in a few years was going into it thinking yeah i'm pretty sure this movie's racist it's so much less racist than a bond movie <laughs> oh the, the so ma- th- there's there's some respect here yeah. for this that you don't ever see in the bond films of the same era it's incredible and I mean, 70s Hong Kong, it's just so vibrant and exciting and 
oh, I I love the setting. I love this song. I I I'm going to love this movie already. I knew it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's worth saying. Yeah, this this film is shot on location in Hong Kong and uses that location oh, uh, entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a co-production with Shaw Brothers, which uh, I didn't realize, but but looking up. The, the sort of the background of this movie. So the Shaw Brothers, of course, are, you know, the, the kings of, uh, Hong Kong action cinema. And we are, this movie, while it's at the sort of the downturn of black exploitation, it's right in the sweet spot for Hong Kong cinema. Um, so yeah, the fact that the Shaw Brothers were involved in this production kind of speaks to why it, it's actually kind of respectful, I think. Mm-hmm, absolutely. The Johnson brothers, special agents Matthew and Melvin, are in town posing as dope buyers in order to track down the local kingpin. They learn that the man they're meeting with, Chen, is trying to break away from his boss and go independent. We love the Johnson brothers, of course. Um, Melvin here is wearing this denim jacket oh ensemble, embroidered stars and suns. I love it so much. It's I love so cool. it. I, I called it a Canadian disco tuxedo. Uh, <laughs> The the sun and star patches, those giant bell bottoms. Oh God, I just want that outfit so much. I had forgotten how much I loved Melvin Johnson. Uh, <laughs> and already, scene one, these boys are sweating. <laughs> That's the other way you know this was filmed on location in Hong Kong. Like the humidity yeah. is clearly through the roof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they are wearing the heaviest clothes. <laughs> We're really just going to get all the problematic stuff out of the way right up top. (laughs) Um, Matthew Johnson definitely refers to CPT, Colored People's Time, which, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into. (laughs) I have no comment at all on this. Okay, (laughs) then let's let's agree to move on and say that that might be as bad as it gets. (laughs) Might. Uh, oh, probably not. We'll get to it. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the sound mixing is very choppy uh, throughout, mm. but especially this opening scene. Um, mm-hmm. We have a one of the only white people in the movie, certainly mm-hmm. one of the only white people with lines, apart from Stanley and Bianca, who is just a, a nasty gross man and it's sort of it was interesting to me that like oh the role of the treacherous turncoat uh that is always usually like a sort of ugly racist stereotype here it's like an ugly white guy um, <laughs> <laughs> yes turn those tables i love it <laughs> how does it feel andrew uh <laughs> no good shane <laughs> <laughs> exactly feel that taste those tears uh, and literally everyone has sideburns they're all <laughs> incredible but the most sideburny uh sideburns that we see are from mendez in the background uh, kind of o- watching them as they're getting on this boat and i'm yes. already you're gonna love mendez <laughs> oh yes spoiler for mendez yes um i do love that we are actually getting a spy movie that shows some respect for tea mm. when they encounter chen uh we have uh chen drinking from a gaiwan which you know and and taking his time with it and it's like after all those bond stories where he's like shitty about tea finally someone respects tea the way it's intended to be respected so yes it's about time <laughs> and then it gets dark <laughs> very very quickly <laughs> it seems like they have been in the boat 20 minutes uh maybe and it goes from noon to night uh so but it needs to be nighttime because chen's base of operations uh it, which is a heroin refinery on a boat is then raided by the kingpin's men led by the kingpin herself <gasps> bianca javin okay aka the dragon lady bianca takes the johnson's prisoner but chen manages to escape 
Yeah, it ain't Mr. Big, it's Ms. Big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I had to note off the top that absolutely no one is translating Matthew Johns- Johnson for Chen, a man who <laughs> we've been told does not speak English, but he seems to understand every single word Matt is saying. <laughs> right. Love, just love that trope. <laughs> I'm very impressed by how big the interior of this boat is. I feel like it's much bigger mm. than the exterior appeared to be. Uh, there's all this like lab equipment because it's a refinery, and I don't know how to refine heroin. I, have, I will say that up front. But there's a lot of bubbling noises in the background that's like really like good, fun foley work going on, where you're like, it's a lab, <laughs> so there must be bubbling noises. Yes, get times. me as much dry ice as you can find <laughs> on the continent of Asia. Every heroin lab sequence in this film makes it seem like the kind of science fair that you wish you had gone to <laughs> as a child. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, we, we get to meet our villain, Bianca, uh, who makes an impact, even though it's incredibly dark and very hard to see. She strides onto the boat in her purple crushed velvet suit and matching hat. And it's like, oh, OK, this bitch is here to 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 play the liza minnelli pirate shows up uh <laughs> and mel waves his white flag <laughs> in submission because yes. how could you not <laughs> <laughs> bianca's outfits never quite reached this high again i don't think but no this, no this I, she does wear there. this one again which a couple more times yeah yeah, yeah it, i guess it is her pirate outfit because she wears it uh, we'll get there um <laughs> My favorite part of this scene is when the Johnsons reveal half of the money that they're going to be giving them before they get the other half, and it's literally <laughs> half a dollar bill. That's that's a great joke. <laughs> like, better be cool, man. That money ain't worth shit till you get the other half, and it's literally that. That's pretty rich. <laughs> Alerted to the Johnson brothers' disappearance, Cleopatra Jones arrives in Hong Kong. She is met by the local station chief, Stanley, who tries to assign her a partner, but she says she would rather work alone. Honestly, the way that Stanley was so desperate for Cleo's acceptance, I immediately thought that this was <laughs> the chief from the last movie. Right? Uh, it took yeah. me quite a long time to realize that they were different characters. <laughs> They don't, they don't really explain what Stanley, I'm calling him local station chief, but like they don't really go into much detail about like what agency he's working for. I mean, we don't know what agency Cleo is working for, to be honest. So true. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's a good point. Who is Cleo working for? <laughs> um, like uh, the, the Johnson brothers weren't referred to as agents in the first film, but they are explicitly referred to as agents in this film. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows how this operation works? Um, but yeah, Stanley definitely has the same vibes as the chief of police in the the last movie. But like, it wouldn't have made any sense, I guess, for the chief of police to be working out of Hong Kong. But no, then again, does it not. make sense? I don't know. <laughs> does any of this make sense? Definitely not. Um, our girl arrives looking absolutely fabulous as mm-hmm. ever in this like plaid satin uh, Burberry jacket and this azure cravat orange hat with emerald green sash and the most intense eye makeup that mm-hmm. does <laughs> that's layered on there with uh, like a layer of uh, lead so thick that it does not disappear <laughs> for the entire movie yeah, like they they didn't have to reapply at all throughout the no. shoot. It's just like it's it's tattooed on. Yeah, it's aggressively beautiful makeup. Like it's super. You, it, I can't imagine many people getting away with it. To be no. honest, 
No, no, but she makes it work. Um, this movie feels queer here when we see these, uh, like Navy officers in their white booty shorts. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the fact that the, the, the Royal Navy is there in all their little white shorts, uh, it's very cute. Very incidental hottie material. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, we see Stanley has a secretary, uh, who is a man, a sort of, smiling man in a suit but we don't get a good look at him so i couldn't tell how much of an incidental hottie he was but i really wish we'd seen more of him because i think having a, a some uptight awestruck little lackey to push around would have been sweet for clear you know yeah yeah everyone in this film is kind of at the top of their game and doesn't need help yeah. uh it would have been great yeah, that a little bit of comedic relief in this film would have gone a long way. I, the Johnsons, <laughs> in a lot of ways, were that in yes. the first film, and they get a little bit of that here, but... Yeah, but they're so cut off from Cleo from most of the movie that, yeah, we don't get the same dynamic. That might be the only downfall of this movie, really. Yeah. <laughs> A local woman helps Cleo book a cab to the walled city to look for Chen. Cleo's led into a trap and must fight for her life. The local woman comes to Cleo's aid. We get this weird setup here where it seems very clear to my reading, and I think to yours, that the cabbies mm-hmm. are being racist. They're, they're refusing to take Cleo because she's a black woman, and they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, we don't uh, want to deal with you. The reality of being black trying to hail a cab. Yeah. And that gets walked back at the end of the movie in a really strange way. But Very like, strange. I had to go back and amend my note because I was so <laughs> shocked about this point in particular when this scene stands out for, like, how real it feels. Right. And, I mean, even in the scene, it kind of, you kind of learn, like, oh, they're actually not going because she wants to go to Kowloon, the walled, yeah. walled city, which is, was then a... I guess an actual den of thieves in a lot of ways. Definitely not like the safest place. No, yeah, it's a, it's, Kowloon is a really fascinating sit- setting because it's, uh, literally lawless because the authorities just didn't go into that area. It's mostly been demolished today. Um, mm. and I don't think for all of this film is shot on location, they were not taking a camera Ooh. into Kowloon. Uh, they were not taking <laughs> black actors into Kowloon, definitely. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they, they sort of recreate Kowloon in, in other streets, uh, in this, in this section of the movie. And we do get to spend a lot of time, like, just with some, some, like, walking around and exploring. I do enjoy, like, like I said, I, I love how much this movie seems to love Hong Kong, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. It really lets you experience a time and a place. It does feel like we're right there. Um, yeah. this gorgeous girl in this blue sun hat shows up and she's, just a total bitch, uh, and I absolutely <laughs> love her. Yes, this is Ni Tien as Mi Ling making an instant impression, um, delivering the great line, if the tall black woman wants to throw her life away, it's no concern of ours. It's no of concern ours. of ours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but she says it with such a smile, and she's right. so sweet about it, you're like, oh, I can't hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how difficult was it to make this film, Tamara being this, like, six foot two black woman on location, literally yeah. every one in the background is staring at her like they could not stop uh the background like just the people on the streets from being like what the fuck is happening over there right um yeah but she makes and she's wearing the most fabulous clothes so how could they not stare but wow this must have been a difficult film to make 
I mean, I think, I guess in a way, the fact that Cleo is who she is, it's like, oh no, people would stare at her anyway. Yeah. Like, it's not just that she's making a film. Like, this is a woman who demands to be looked at because she's beautiful and she dresses to draw the eye. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many parallels uh, between this and You Only Live Twice in that respect, I think. Um, like, when we see uh, James walking down the streets of Tokyo and and he's literally towering over everyone by five inches and everyone in the background is staring at him. It, it just makes me feel like, oh my god, Cleopatra Jones could have been the same kind of icon. We could have had ten films yeah. where Tamara uh, Dobbs gets more and more bored with this. It would have been great. <laughs> um, we get a great little fight moment here where Cleo is... Uh, walks into a trap knowing it's a trap completely unflappable like that luminous smile on her face she sort of mm-hmm. does a little hat tip to one of the the waiting goons that's, that's watching her um gets ambushed by these guys and uh, our, our friend Meeling uh, comes to the rescue this fight scene i'm sh- tamara dobson's stunt double must be a man right because she's Uh-oh. so tall yeah, absolutely. There's a few male stunt doubles, driving doubles uh, throughout yeah. this film, which yeah. is a little upsetting. Uh, one, <laughs> There's one time where it's incredibly obvious. We will talk about it. Right. Um, I think I know which one you mean. Um, yeah, the, the big hats on, on uh, Cleo really help, I think, with the stunt double. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we also get to see her, like, thrown around a little bit and throwing some punches herself. It's just, uh, she might not be doing, like, backflips and kicks, as it may seem. <laughs> uh, oh, also, at the end of this scene, they just somehow get out of it. Like, Cleo and Milin <laughs> are back-to-back in an alley surrounded by a dozen attackers. And then it's just the two of them walking on the street, like, oh, oh, did did something happen? Did yeah. I guess they took everyone out. Okay. Yeah. Or they came uh, to an, um, some kind of amicable agreement. <laughs> the woman introduces herself as Mi Ling Fong, a private detective operating out of a motorbike shop. Mi Ling and her crew agree to help Cleo find the Johnsons. Revving my engine uh, right out of the gate is David, <laughs> uh, Mi Ling's main crew a member. Yeah, I, I just... Oh my goodness! I mean, I need a moment with with David about David. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, uh, any which way. Yeah, David is the motorcycle expert played by uh, stunt performer John Chung, and I need my like uh, my my Blanche Devereaux spray bottle. Um, oh, every time he comes on yes. screen, he, he is, is that dreamy. He really, really is so gorgeous to look at. Right. Um, and he has such personality in this film too. He's very, I don't know, self assured. Yeah. Oh, he's cocky as all hell. Like he's so he's beautiful, and he has a smile that tells you he knows he's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like like the actor's like twenty one years old um, oh, at this point, um, which makes him the older man for me because I was born when this movie came out. So you know, right, like, right. He's a much older man for me, um, <laughs> and for all of us. I mean, that's how time works. Um, right. <laughs> and yeah, the, every outfit, there's there's one outfit in particular that we'll get to, but like the second scene he's in, he's wearing this tight canary yellow t-shirt oh, and like, God. I was ready to get down on my knees. Yeah. Uh, he, to propose. Yeah. Oh yes, of course, of course, of course, yeah. of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> or, uh, anyway. <laughs> Anyways, uh, 22 years before Tomorrow Never Dies does the exact same scene, we get this somehow less <laughs> problematic headquarters scene in the back room of the bike shop. Yeah, Meeling has a really impressive weapons cache in the, that back row, man. This sort of 
training area with these flipping mirrors that's very feels very Shaw Brothers very Bruce Lee movie mm-hmm. um we see Meeling using her signature weapon, which are these darts with the sort of the, the fluffy end. I don't know. They probably have a, a very clever name besides darts. Um, and Cleo, like, then, like, whips out a gun and shoots the same targets with a gun. But, like, no, the darts were more impressive, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's so American to be like, no, 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 we shoot things. Bang, bang. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but when you fire a gun, it hits the target, like, less than a second later when you throw a dart you have to anticipate the movement in a yeah, much exactly. more impressive way so yeah i mean it, it was elegance versus brute force and mm-hmm. i guess uh that says a lot about these characters but i guess <laughs> but they don't say much about these characters in this film no no fair um and yeah they go they go for a meal together to discuss mm saving the johnsons and i was really excited that maybe we would get some good food scenes in this movie but it never really manifests itself no there's not really any food in this film at all mm. um all of me ling's friends are incredibly hot maybe they are the meal <laughs> wow I'll, I'll take three <laughs> at the dragon lady casino bianca javin meets with her heroin producers and has one of them killed for betraying her to chen as if it wasn't clear enough that this blonde white woman with the mid-atlantic accent is the villain she also has to do the thing where she kills one of her lieutenants straight out the gate just to be absolutely clear oh yeah absolutely this scene opens and i wrote did i switch accidentally to some hardcore 70s porn <laughs> i just wrote lesbians um, yes uh oh so many wet <laughs> lube sounds in this opening uh to bianca's character Ugh, so it's smacking a, yeah it's a really intimate uh moment lots of intense close-ups lots of massage oil being slicked between mm-hmm. fingers um it is uh excessively um like softcore erotica or maybe oh, yeah. Hardcore. yeah and you know another lesbian villain mm-hmm. in this franchise that's i i mean I, that let's say it that's the most problematic thing that is coming out of this film is that yeah all lesbians are the most evil people in the world and all the most evil people are lesbians yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's weird that there are only two cleopatra jones movies and they both have lesbian villains yeah was was she gonna go three for three ten for ten like if the franchise had continued you don't need to ask that question we know the answer is absolutely (laughs) yes and we would have been here for it and she would have been our favorite character i'm sure yeah it's true (laughs) um i must point out that's Della Stevens, who plays Bianca Javin, was Ernest Borgnine's uh, ex-prostitute wife, uh, sorry, ex-sex worker wife in The Poseidon Adventure. So being in The Poseidon Adventure is a prerequisite as well as being a lesbian to be the villain in a Cleopatra Jones. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shelley Winters was the uh, the previous uh, incumbent of the role. Um, very different performances. Like, I like the fact that these are very different lesbian yes. villains. Oh, yeah. Bianca is not loud and obnoxious in the way yeah. that the other villain was. Uh, I also laughed out loud when they uh, said her name was Bianca. I was like, of course, white. Uh, she is also possibly the most, the like, the richest underworld villain kingpin in the world if she controls all of the heroin in, quote unquote, this part of the world. Like, what does right. that mean? <laughs> yes. I mean, you look at her apartments, they are sumptuous, you know? There's uh... Oh, and that casino. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen golder casinos, honestly, than the Casino of Gold, but uh, but you know, it's it's still pretty rich. Uh, I'll say that. 
It's not. It's not Trumpian. No, it's not there. No, um, she's evil. She's not stupid. Um, <laughs> by the way, the the uh, the music that plays over the uh, that opening moment where we're we're introduced to Bianca in her full lesbian ecstasies, mm. uh, this sort of gentle spa waiting room music that's playing in the background uh, is called Les Orgies, which is French for orgies. But I suspect. Oh. Les Orgy has a double meaning here, maybe. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> oh boy. Oh, <laughs> such a low bar that we've set on this show today, Andrew. <laughs> I mean, so Dominic Fortier, who wrote the opening song, also wrote the entire score for this this movie. He's, I think, he's a Quebecois jazz musician. Um, mm. So, so he spoke French. He knew what he was doing. Let's be clear. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say I don't think that's a fantastic joke. <laughs> that you'd really have to dig deep to find out. <laughs> uh, we also get our first really good look here at Mendez, the uh, the henchman of the movie. Um, first of all, always love a good henchman, of course. Um, Especially one with cheekbones that could cut diamonds. I mean, yes, he's, he's gorgeous. Like, he's stunning. Um, yeah. We, we have some real good fundamental hotties rather than incidental hotties in this movie. Absolutely. Meeling introduces Cleo to her irregulars, a group of street children who act as scouts and lookouts. Someone shoots at the two women and a car chase ensues and the assailants die in a fiery crash. The score in the background, again, is so good. It is just like peak 70s and peak, uh, yeah, this Hong Kong cinema. It's incredible. <laughs> it's very like Rodeo Clown hoedown music at this moment. <laughs> oh, oh, I was talking about the background music as uh, Cleo's being introduced to her regulars. Uh-huh, okay, <laughs> the the okay. car chase music is insane. <laughs> it's, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, yes, with, you, with, that is that. Rodeo clown car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going from the top of the scene. You were starting oh, at the right. bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Um, Cleo shows up in, oh, my fuck, this purple floral yes. head wrap and jacket and these, like, giant emerald green pants it, mm-hmm. just looking incredible. And she's just essentially hitting on this child who is hitting on her and we're all good with it because she looks amazing doing it it's it's harmless she's she doesn't mean anything by it she's just giving the kid the the story he'll live on for the rest of his life Um, oh yeah yeah i mean the idea that of making a headscarf and jacket out of the same same patterned fabric uh sublime uh looks fabulous and then to match it with these incredibly bold green pants like this woman loves a bold clash and i love a bold clash so uh yeah we're on a wavelength there so we get this car chase at the end and it it's great <laughs> <laughs> except for the music <laughs> um and also Meeling's stunt driving double is this hulking white man who doesn't <laughs> fit inside the car beside Cleo's ma- male driving double like it is insane and they do not try to hide it it is just like it is just a big dude and not me ling at all <laughs> see now we know that me ling has a, a more sedate fashion sense for mo- much of this movie than uh than cleo <laughs> i mean everyone has a more sedate fashion sense than cleo yeah. but here she's wearing like, like this red and white sort of tennis ensemble that's so like 60s like it's a throwback for this era yeah, yeah. and i'm just trying to imagine this hulking stunt man wearing this like <laughs> cute white skirt and like raspberry beret and it's like okay <laughs> so. All right, work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love it. 
interesting choice. I thought that the Chinese uh, gang are, seemed to be driving an American car and Cleo's in a Mercedes Benz. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just thought there there might be some commentary there, but maybe also not. I don't know that much about cars. I mean, the the steering on both sets of cars is terrible because there's not a food cut they don't crash through. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the amount of destruction that happens in this film. I mean, even Cleo exclaims at one point, Oh, my <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stanley chastens Cleo for nearly blowing up half of Hong Kong, as he should. I literally... <laughs> he asks for intel on Mi Ling, but Cleo refuses to give her up. Bianca summons the Johnsons to her boudoir and invites them to make use of her facilities while she ties up loose ends. Every time Cleo calls Stanley, Stanley, uh, take a shot. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm already wasted. <laughs> yeah, she's she's not taking Stanley's shit, which is great. She's Her line here is, if you point that finger at me one more time, I'm going to make you eat it fingernail and all. Ugh, yeah, gross. <laughs> it's the details that really make it count, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's, of course, wearing another incredible outfit, maybe a bit more muted than the rest, but she has this, like, blue head, this really vibrant blue headscarf, uh, this ivory embroidered jacket, uh, that is tied up with a red sash, and she's dripping with gold necklaces. It's, <laughs> love it. Meanwhile, uh, over in Bianca's, uh, boudoir, one note I had at this point was, I don't know how old Bianca Javan is. Like, she could be 30, she could be 60. Like, she's a uh, unclear. Very- very ageless woman. <laughs> yeah. Which means that she is somewhere in between the age of you and I. <laughs> <laughs> Day, but yes, she is. Um, uh, she drinks champagne out of a coupe, so I approve mm-hmm, of that mm-hmm. always. Like to do that. And she has a green fan that she's thwarping oh, away with. So. Yes. Very large fan. <laughs> uh, and her private bath situation is incredible, as I would expect for a sapphic villain. Right, yes, she has this huge tub uh, that she lets Matthew and Melvin uh, partake in, um, which is good because they are so sweaty that I think Matthew is actually going to die in this scene. Oh, yeah, Uh, thank God. And, I mean, the best scene of the film, we get to see both of their asses in in almost clear view. (laughs) I mean, you have to squint past a screen, I guess, that's blocking their way, but you can see all of it. It's at this point in the movie that, that... Bianca gives orders to her hot henchman Mendez to uh, to kill Meeling and Cleo, even though in the last scene that's exactly what her people were trying to do already. So oh. maybe some editing mess up here. I don't know. It's very well. Th- this begins the thirty twenty to thirty minutes of the film that kind of gets confusing and drags along a bit, and yeah. it takes a really long time for Cleo and Bianca to meet. Uh, it's really there and particularly seeing that we meet Bianca in the very first scene. Like, it just seems such a long, long time before we get there. But we are not there yet, because (laughs) Cleo tricks her way into a speakeasy where she interrogates Chen's brother. He reveals that Chen is trying to skip town to escape retribution. Cleo tells him to call her when he hears from his brother. She has this black widow outfit here, silver threads, black lace, black feathers in her hair, um, gorgeous brooch. Like, it's such an amazing look. Uh, it's a shame that these scenes yeah. are actually pretty poorly lit um, mm, because, yeah, uh, yeah she, this is one of my favorite Cleopatra Jones looks for sure. Um, also, I love the this setting like this is a very like incidental get us to the next scene scene um mm-hmm. chen's brother is only ever referred to as chen's brother uh, which yeah is, which is 
tough on the guy. Um, but yeah, <laughs> not this, a great this... part. Mom, I was in this film. <laughs> Who are you playing, honey? <sighs> <sighs> but uh, we get this lovely like set piece of the the mahjong uh, parlor speakeasy that really looks like a sleazy good time to me. Mm-hmm, um, it does, although not. Not after Cleo's had her way with it, because no, she tears I mean, that place up. <laughs> and I, she has so much power. She literally holds an entire room of people hostage. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and she gets to deliver ultimatums, which is her favorite thing to do. She's oh, like, yeah. All the time, she's like, you can do that twice, and that's it. Or one more time, buddy. And it's like, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> You've got a thing. <laughs> yeah. So Bianca's henchman, Mendez, attacks Meeling in her apartment with a gang of goons. Meeling fights back despite having her arms tied. Cleo arrives and chases the goons away. I mean, Meeling, you you don't (laughs) set yourself up like this. You're like, I'm going to have a bath. Oh, you know what I should do? Go back and unlock my door and leave it open, just in case anyone wants to barge in here. Like, we get it, you just spoke to Cleo on the phone, and you're expecting her any minute, but Cleo is a a big woman. She can handle herself if she has to wait outside your apartment door for two minutes for you to throw on a towel. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's very poor tactics, but it does give us a great scene for Meeling because she is a boss bitch for sure. Yeah. The fact that they give her a fight scene where, like, they they capture her, they tie her arms together, um, and she and- kicks ass. Yeah, it was incredible. Like, so I am good. so. I'm so conditioned by these stupid Bond films that I was expecting, <laughs> like, the worst. I thought, oh my god, this is this is going to be the Vesper List moment where mm. Meeling gets murdered, Cleo's going to have to seek revenge on her. But no, Meeling literally is just fine, and Cleo just shows up to help her finish the job. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> so good, it's so great. And yeah, Meeling has an apartment that I feel like is not meant to be anything, really. But because it's so of its time, I love it. Oh, it's so good. So many (laughs) rounded walls. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cleo, meanwhile, this is maybe one of my least favorite outfits of hers. The hat is bad and when she oh, takes it yeah. off the whole ensemble like just gets so much better instantly like this black frilly giant hat i know all hats are giant but this is giant by the standards of a cleopatra jones hat yeah this looks like it's a <laughs> drag reveal kind of hat yes. there's something underneath that we need to that we need to see yeah like i think yuriko O'Hara has worn this hat <laughs> poorly and yes she, and she is a bigger person all around <laughs> <laughs> At the casino, the Johnsons walk out in their new threads to the surprise of the patrons. They accept that they are still prisoners despite the hospitality. Love these outfits on them. Oh I would describe God. them as like mango and dragon fruit uh, <laughs> color suits, you know? Oh, absolutely. These like plush, velvety matching suits that have gold embroidered dragons all over them. Uh, I love the way that Matthews is open from like his neck to his armpits <laughs> in this way that they're not connected. Oh, it's just gorgeous. Uh, and then, of course, when they walk out on the casino floor, all the white people look up and one woman literally spits her martini back into the glass. Uh, and uh, and we hear some racist things in the sort of the oh, hubbub. Oh, my rhubarb, God. Rhubarb. 
The ADR, the additional dialogue recording in all of the casino scenes is so distracting. Like, <laughs> I, I had to turn on the subtitles so I could, like, read what was being said in the background. And it really is incredible stuff. Some some of the worst stuff in this movie comes in the lines that nobody's actually saying. I, I, I'm choosing not to repeat them. Um, but, but the line where they're saying, oh, they have <clears throat> over here, too, mm-hmm. is like... That one really got to me. Um, yeah, and then and then yeah. Matthew has a line which also contains a word that I will not use, but he talks about how they might be the only black people with white shadows, and that was a really interesting line because he's talking about the Chinese goons that have been assigned to watch. Them. Oh wow, I didn't even realize that. Right, like he's saying, you know, there you huh. have these people trailing me at all times, and he refers to them as white shadows, but they're Chinese, and it's very interesting, like construction of race stuff you know yeah yeah i mean or maybe they meant to hire white people to be bianca's goons and 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 there was a disconnect between the script and the casting but you know or maybe bianca is the white shadow they're referring it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty unclear it does not feel good that's for sure uh but yes we are in a casino now it feels like a real bond movie i think the casino is worth the wait i it looks uh i mean it's a bit of the time but it looks so incredible yeah, it's such a beautiful set, and we will get to see a lot more of this set, thank God. Um, mm-hmm. We also get to see the, the, the Johnson brothers take on, on Bianca here, um, the great line, that chick would bite Count Dracula on the neck and mm-hmm. make him like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great exchange. But we also find out that uh, Bianca adopts the women that are her, her sex workers, like her lovers, her henchwomen these moral johnson brothers are equally disturbed as i am that the dragon lady is pimping out her adopted daughters uh whom she also fucks it's it's crazy it is uh, that's that's the whole like lesbian villain problematic stuff though right like they're predators they're child molesters they have no family morals and i don't know it just seems so out of step with the liberation movement that uh, black and queer people were going through yeah, at this yeah. time it just feels rotten that this is coming out in this film i mean that's when you're reminded i guess that these films are often made by straight white men exactly exactly there are no black people behind the camera they're all in front of it the thing that often elevates them or, or tempers them is the performances of the people involved um and yeah if there are no visible queer people to to balance things out then you're not getting the benefit that you're getting in having characters like Meeling or Cleo mm-hmm. who are there to stand for themselves and 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 you know make you appreciate their power exactly exactly Chen's brother calls Cleo with Chen's location a smoky pool hall Chen shoots at Cleo and Meeling and flees pursued by Meeling's friend David mm. but Chen gets away Cleo is required to visit every gambling establishment and dive bar <laughs> before she can even step foot near the casino. Um, yep. <laughs> also, her this giant white hat that she's wearing uh, makes her a much easier target during a shootout, I will say. Oh, for sure, for sure, <laughs> yeah. The, the setup here where Chen's brother is phoning her up, it's like we just get to watch him dial the whole number on a rotary phone. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. really extended, like, okay, and the six, and the three. Now dial the extension. I kind of miss you, rotary phones. But also, 
We and we know how phones work. Do we need this? <laughs> no. This movie is an hour and thirty-five minutes long, and half of that is phone <laughs> conversations. And they're not even really cool, like uh, Nordic Cobra phones or anything. No. <laughs> but we must talk about the the highlight oh. here, which is lovely David in these white flares, oh, and yeah. sports coat, and, uh, and Bruce Lee shades. shades. Oh my god! Oh, it's such. It's the an amazing look. Like it is fashion. I I'm in love with him all over again. Yeah. Um. He's he's a king. I, and he he so talented and skilled on that motorbike, which is apparently only made to go up or down stairs. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, yeah yeah he's uh he does get to take a few spills which i feel like they wouldn't like mm. if it was daniel craig or or vin diesel like you would just never see them crash um but yeah he, they they make it they get, make it seem real which i guess justifies the fact that he can't seem to catch chen um on foot <laughs> yeah chen on foot somehow evades david I'll, I'll just never understand it this and like they work at a motorcycle club so you imagine that they have some pretty fast and uh high-tech bikes but no right. like they are going the same speed the entire time <laughs> it's true it's true and yeah when you think back to the first cleopatra jones movie where she got to be on the bike it's interesting that in this movie they're like no we're we're giving the bike riding to this this guy who was a professional stunt rider which i guess means that he doesn't have to have a stunt double although i think he's wearing a stunt helmet for large he must be i i was the chase I was worried. I said, how many stuntmen did this film chew its way through in general? <laughs> yeah, his hair looks very strange in a lot of these shots. And, uh, yeah. and I think it must be. That, like he's Because he's going down some very long staircases. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, that last staircase he goes down. I, I was... The scene felt unending. And just when you think he's hit the bottom, you realize that he's just hit one of those little plateaus. And yeah. then they, and then they show you how large the staircase is. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to be here for a few minutes. And Chen, like, has basically an uninterrupted clear shot at the guy coming towards him. And he's like, somehow he's missing. I don't know. It's I weird. don't know. And not hitting it's... anyone in the background. No one's ducking. <laughs> no one seems concerned about this shootout and motorbike. But this is another scene where I thought, oh, is David going to die here? Like, oh. David yeah. has gone off on his own. Uh, he doesn't have the protection of the women, and he's like face to face with the this tertiary bad guy. He's going to get killed, right? That's how these movies always play out. But no. how they always work. But no, one just going to buck that trend, and I love it. Let Let's keep them all alive. They're all great characters, right? Chen gets ambushed by Mendez. Cleo and Meeling arrive at the scene soon after, thanks to a tip from the Irregulars. They discover that Chen has been taken to the Dragon Lady Casino in Macau. Um, this is where the, the old matchbook clue comes into play. You, you beat some people up, you wonder where they came from, you just go through their pockets and find a matchbook, and it will tell you exactly where they came from. It's so reliable. Always, <laughs> always. Where was the last place they visited? Ah, of course. <laughs> It was a rule. If you had a matchbook, it had to be significant in some way. You couldn't just pick up a matchbook because you were leaving a restaurant, you know? It's... I guess so. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I I guess if they were still available, I would too, now that I think about it. Who doesn't want a tiny little souvenir? And that's how they'll get you. Yeah, that's. but that is how they'll catch me, yeah. <laughs> Cleo wearing some more fabulous patterns here, matching her tie to her mm -hmm. hat band. Uh, very chic. And we get to see her flirting with that boy again. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. This is becoming problematic. <laughs> All of these older women are uh, seducing these much younger children. It's, 
<laughs> it, it seems to be, you know, it, in the Cleo movies, we only have two to work with, but you can identify certain tropes, and one of them is that Cleo always has an interaction with a charming hustler ragamuffin. Um, <laughs> that's yep. just, that's part of the Cleo canon now. As uh, Meeling and Cleo split up, uh, they decide who's going to take which part of the building, and Meeling asks, why don't you take the roof this time? And Cleo says, because <laughs> you're smaller and bounce better, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get some nice patter between these two, this sort of constant like back and forth of who is the Tonto and who is the, the Lone Ranger in their relationship. It's nice. It is nice. They have such a great relationship in this film. And, and they also just take 10 guys out like it's absolutely nothing consistently mm-hmm. throughout the film. Yeah, basically. Cleo and Meeling arrive at the casino, creating another stir among the patrons. These patrons are easily stirred. <laughs> so easily stirred. <laughs> In the refinery below, the Johnsons watch as Bianca faces Chen in a duel to the death in an arena of swords. That's the Star Trek battle music. <laughs> she kills him, of course. But Bianca is upset when she notices that her girl, Madalena, has grown close to Matthew Johnson. I mean, these two walk into this casino looking like motherfucking royalty. <laughs> Meeling is... Like, wearing so many jewels, I'm not sure if I'm hearing the clinking of coins in the background, (laughs) or if it's her outfit as she takes a step. I mean, the Foley guys go all out in this movie. It's not clinking, it's (laughs) bubbling. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Um, Cleo, again, I think, is wearing one layer too many here, because she's got this giant frilly pink shawl that's very Georgia O'Keeffe, but but is not not doing it for me, which I guess is also true of a lot of the things George O'Keefe was painting. Well, it's true. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of love it. I mean, it's, it's okay. Maybe the frill itself on, on the hooded uh, cape is not working for me, but yeah. I love that she has a piece to remove to reveal what's underneath. Sure. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. She has this amazing headpiece and the whole gown is, is yeah, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it's all this like lovely tan flesh tone color and, and it's all like diamond studded everywhere. Oh, I'm, I I dig it. it. It is, okay, maybe it's not my favorite outfit of the film, but just the way it catches every piece of light is incredible. Mm-hmm. Great piece of dialogue as the, the women walk into the casino. What's your pleasure? I'd like to be somewhere else. Oh, okay. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote, impressive heroin operation about to be busted by an impressive heroin operation. Nice. Uh, Wordplay. Um, (laughs) And welcome to stage, bubbling foley. Uh, We're in the lab again. And uh, yeah, we go back to another heroin set. I absolutely love it. (laughs) Uh, Which is like a great piece of set design here. Like we don't have a lot of stage sets in this movie. Like the casino must be a stage set. And Mm -hmm. this the lab underneath it must be as well and it does feel very 70s and very bondy uh, in a way that not much else in this movie is because so much of it is actually using real location it felt like a dr nose lair in a crazy way it was just so cavernous and every piece had a use and there were so many people working in the background this movie felt big right um, and here we get like Bianca's like f- finest scene of the movie, perhaps, because this is something that really sets her apart as a great villain. She's captured Chen, and instead of like just having him killed, she 
challenges him to a duel to the death and she's put back on her her purple as you say Liza Minnelli pirate outfit Mm -hmm. um, that's you know we get to see it in proper lighting now and it's exquisite and she Mm -hmm. yeah she has the swords pop up out of the ground like it's a Flash Gordon movie or something oh I there was I made a gasp of shock when that happened I mean honestly that's crazy swords popping up out of the ground I mean Melvin uh, or maybe it was Matthew also like gasped in shock at that yeah. moment <laughs> uh, yeah and, and she fights him to the death like she doesn't just kill a, a, I mean he is he has been tied up for a while he's not in top fighting uh, condition but still the fact that she's like no I'm going to prove I'm a physical threat and I'm going to kill this man myself with a sword I'm going to arm him too um, like we don't get to see Bond villains that are physical threats that often but Bianca absolutely wants us to know that she can handle herself and yeah, boy does she like really fun fight scene here uh none of the blades on the edge of the arena are so high that i don't believe <laughs> that this little man couldn't jump over them right uh, but i'm i'm willing to buy into uh what they're selling here uh sure. it is yeah and i love that what was really holding bianca minnelli back in this fight scene was the hat all she needed <laughs> to do was lose the hat and she right. is a winner baby <laughs> yeah absolutely um, also, Mendes is like standing right there. If you try to run, he's going to cut you with his cheekbones. And oh yeah, of course, end. of course. Bianca approaches Cleo on the casino floor. They spar and or flirt. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Bianca has uh, changed into a green lily dress for this, which is really an ugly dress. Honestly. Oh, it's the worst dress of the night, a hundred percent. Cleo looking like she's having a great time like she just looks like a girl on holiday laughing kikiing right throwing her money around ordering drinks it's fabulous and then that guy across the uh the roulette table gives her a little leer and and she replies with maybe one of the finest lines of the movie don't race your motor baby it's not leaving the garage (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) love it (laughs) it's it's like the inverse wop um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this dialogue between Bianca and Cleo, finally they meet, by the way. It's yes, day, we're, yes. we're what, 50, 50 minutes into this movie? Maybe even later, yeah. an hour into this movie? Um, but this dialogue could be straight out of any Bond film. I loved it. Yeah, it's a really great execution of the, the polite meeting mm-hmm. trope, which I always love in a Bond movie. Like the moment the hero and the villain are face to face in a situation where they can't be all out fighting they're forced by circumstances to be polite to each other but they're still sparring and yeah this is a really great example of that scene and also though i do wonder if the dresses are coded in some way because bianca's dress is covered in these phalluses these big lily heads oh, oh and cleo is wearing her God. big frilly georgia o'keefe shawl and it's like am i am i reading too much into this i mean if you ha- if you have to ask the question i think you've already answered it <laughs> <laughs> Madalina tells Cleo that the Johnsons are in danger. Meeling calls in her boys for backup. Cleo discovers that Madalina has been killed for her betrayal. Cleo flees but is captured by Mendes and his men and Meeling watches from the shadows. The scene where Cleo escapes feels straight out of her sorry before she escapes it's like straight out of a western she's walking right. down this darkened street and everyone's closing up shop and shutting their shutters and giving her like evil the the evil eye stare it's 
it's insane. <laughs> it also reminds me of the Village of the Crazy scene in Jim Carter, which oh my is not God, a comparison yes. I make lightly because that is no. the <laughs> finest moment in cinema history. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 the, the locations are all so beautiful here. Like even mm-hmm. even in the dark, um, it looks very windy though out there. Like we see Meeling and, oh, and yeah. Cleo before they part ways, standing out there trying not to give away how much they're shivering. Like oh. suddenly, it ain't and so the- humid anymore. <laughs> Like, the grass in the background is just, like, flapping down <laughs> 90 degrees in these giant gusts of wind. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. There's one point where where Meeling literally has to stop a fern from slapping her in the face. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's windy out there. And as as they part ways, uh, Cleo says, I'll either be dead or up to my cakes in crocodiles uh, if, if she doesn't yep. get the rescue party there. So, it's, that's a great line. That I'm going to be great. thinking about being up to my cakes in crocodiles for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Very Felix Leiter. Um, mm-hmm. I immediately got excited when Meeling uh, goes to the boys and they reveal a sidecar on the motorbike because that can only mean good things later in the film. Um, <laughs> uh, Madalena is murdered and I'm sorry, but was that a chopstick that was going through her tongue into her neck? I was so confused it, about what I was seeing. Right? Yeah. That she's like, she's in a barbershop chair. She seems to have been stabbed through the the mouth with a chopstick. And, and it's a very weird reveal because there's just like this man in this barber, like this derelict shop spinning the chair around. And that, like, that's the reveal. And Cleo's like, Oh, well, I'm not going that way. I'll go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Wrong turn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do love the way, like, Cleo's outfit really comes into its own in this section because the mm-hmm. sequins catch every little, like, there's not much light there, but she is sparkling. Like, she is absolutely, like, it's stunning. It's a great visual. I, I was going to say, I absolutely love it. She's, like, walking down this alleyway and, like, she's passing all of these paper lan- lanterns and the lanterns on the other side of the alley are casting these red shadows or these red glares on her face. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's gorgeous. She just looks amazing. And like you say, that dress is really capturing the visual for this scene because everything yeah. else is pitch black. <laughs> She's doing a lot of running away, which I don't feel like is very in character, but, you know, she is definitely outnumbered here. And the bad guys have cars. And I, and I think she's mm-hmm. actually literally physically dodging cars in this sequence. Cause... Oh, yeah. It looks like they're trying to kill her. Um, yeah. For real. <laughs> like, did she ask for a pay rise? What was going on here? Yep. Like, uh, um, you know, to be fair, it, it is a, takes a lot of men to entrap one single woman in this film. So she's working true. pretty damn hard. That's true. That's true. We will say, of course, the the death of Madalena um, does earn this movie its place on the Vesper list. Mm-hmm. But it also completes the Bond woman trinity here. We have the evil woman, oh. the doomed woman, and the good woman in Bianca, Madalena, and Meeling. Oh, mm, well said. This yeah. is a better Bond film than most. <laughs> <laughs> Cleo's reunited with the Johnsons in Bianca's parlor. Meeling creates a distraction on the casino floor and the Johnson brothers fight the goons while Cleo and Meeling escape. Melvin, of course, has to tear off his shirt because his shirt was definitely holding him back. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I, he was getting so sweaty in there. You can <laughs> see when he takes it off how glistening his body is. Yeah, I think we could both hear each other sort of cheering like, yes, good job, Melvin. Yeah. <laughs> from, from across Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> Uh, Matthew here decides that the best tactic is to just hurl himself at the goons. I don't yeah. think it's the best strategy. Like, they're trying to come up through this hatch that basically is like two pieces of wood 
barely hang, held together and and he spends like the next 20 minutes of the movie defending that hatch yeah. um, even when there's no one on the other side of it anymore yeah it's they, very strange. it feels like they didn't really know what to do with matthew uh this time around <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah he's a bit of comic relief he's a bit of a block <laughs> literally just just blocking things for people yeah, I mean, he does, like, Matthew has the, the Madalena subplot, which doesn't really pay out in any great way. Like, he, he learns of her death and he gets to react to it, but that's, yeah. he doesn't get to then, he doesn't get to take revenge on Bianca because that's Cleo's job. That's right. Um, Bianca, by the way, it should be noted, is back in her signature look, which, which Matthew refers to as her head-chopping outfit. <laughs> um, so Cleo and Meeling return with the motorbike boys. They shoot up the casino with machine guns and the patrons flee as a full-on gunfight breaks out. Uh, I mean, the, how many patrons were in this place? They are, <laughs> the entire gunfight, there are patrons fleeing in the background. It's like, just get out. Get out of the way. You're going to get killed. Right? And did you see the boob? Oh, I of course I saw the boob. Just someone running away airplane style, like just like a jiggling breast runs right into the center of the frame and then takes a sharp left. Like, okay. Yeah. And it's like, why? It, I don't even think it was like, like, this isn't a sex club. There were no like pole dancers no. here. Her, she I, just didn't woman, have her shirt on properly. Yeah. Like her boobs just came out while she was running or something. It was, it was extraordinary. It um, was great. I loved it. Um, <laughs> Cleo shooting that assault rifle from the sidecar is the energy we all need going into 2022. She's just so like gleeful and oh, her yes. teeth are gritted and she is having a great time. Uh, she You're does right, say, yes. if we get out of here, I'm driving because uh, they like they seem they hit everything in sight and the <laughs> whole motorbike topples over on its side. Miraculously, none of them are crushed by this motorbike, uh, Meeling, David or Cleo. Yeah, I mean, these these biker boys love crashing into things. They love going up and down stairs. They like they are chaotic uh, in the best way. Like they are they are, they don't they don't get off the bikes. They only crash off them yes exactly <laughs> that's the only way you're gonna get me off this thing um <laughs> i love love their white leather racing suits yes with these like blue and red racing stripes going down the length of their bodies and the most gigantic 1975 aviators they could find mm-hmm they look like a gang of speed racers. It's really incredible. This entire casino set is so beautiful, and it, they this is where you know the fuck definitely out a set. Of it. Because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is demolished. Ev- everything that they could, like, destroy, every balustrade, every wall, <laughs> every lantern is somehow destroyed. I loved it. David is fearless. I love David so yeah. much because he's like just throwing himself into trouble, and it does come back to bite him on the ass because he gets absolutely overwhelmed by by guys at one point, and his his buddy Oof. drives a motorbike off the upper floor and grabs a lamp, a, like a swinging lamp, and lets the yeah. motorbike crash and explode on the casino floor. Oh, so many exploding vehicles in this film that we did not talk about, by the way. Right, like, car cars hit. Uh, lampposts and burst into flames this motorbike falls one story and bursts into <laughs> flames and it's a very cool like the stunt of jumping off a thing flying off the motorbike grabbing a lamp and then oh, dropping amazing looks amazing practical like they, they like someone did sure. that it looks like yeah. oh my god it was really cool stunt but accomplished so accomplished nothing no not a <laughs> damn thing was accomplished by doing that <laughs> 
<laughs> he could have just got off his bike and jumped down and it would have been quicker but sure. yeah <laughs> but it's the flash that's our that's our gang style you know yes uh, if we haven't crashed three motorbikes a day, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Um, yeah. uh, where did Mi Ling get a grenade, is my question. <laughs> Even Cleo seemed shocked. She's like, what, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> and it's not just like a grenade. It's like a sticky grenade, like something you would attach to a tank. Yeah, it's huge. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe it was on the boat. I don't know. It was big. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of my favorite things to see in any action movie is people, people getting shot who are standing on a high thing. And instead of being shot, thrown backwards by the shot, oh, no, they always No, they clutch forwards. their heart and like, yes, <laughs> they do the 180 degree and then fall backwards. And, and like tumble uh, off the yeah. ledge forward uh, onto the crash mats hidden behind the debris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's Hong Kong. I think like the, the a lot of things were done without safety regulations. Oh, uh, yeah. That's why this movie, <laughs> that's why it looks so expensive because it was so, yeah. so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> So Neeling confronts and kills Mendez, while Cleo goes after Bianca in her private quarters. Bianca pulls a sword, but Cleo snatches it from her and stabs her to death. Ooh, what a rough death. Um, they, they destroy every piece of beautifully ornate furniture before they get there. Uh, yep. This sword fight literally destroying every piece of fabric that exists in uh, Miss Bianca's private suite. I don't know how either of these women thought that giant paper screen was going to offer <laughs> any protection. Right? They're like <laughs> dodging around it. It's like, and she literally <laughs> cuts through like a knife through hot butter. <laughs> yeah. Hot knife through butter. <laughs> or like a sword through paper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bianca's full-on way living her pirate fantasy here. It's the sword oh, yeah. with the headscarf, with the blouse. It's like... Swashbuckling, for sure. So good. Uh, um, which I predicted in the very first scene. Uh, you did, like, you did. Liza Minnelli wearing <laughs> pirate. Uh, it's great. I'd love that we get a sidekick henchperson fight between Meeling and Mendez here, and that mm-hmm. the henchy goes out before the villain. Take note, oh, James yeah. Bond. Take note. Very, very important. <laughs> and it helps build that climax. Because it could have felt like a very underwhelming death to Bianca, but right. the way that everything is paced, it just felt like a nice little cherry on top. When you yeah. do it the other way around, it doesn't work the same way. I mean, I do like that the big plot to defeat the villain here is to come into her base and destroy everything and kill her. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. it. Like, there's no, there's nothing clever here. There's no, like, well, we have to somehow undermine the operation and bribe this person and do that. And no. No. Nope. <laughs> just, she's committing crimes. We're going to destroy everything. That's the way we get it done. <laughs> I, that's the organization Cleo works for. That's their modus operandi, I guess. Right? <laughs> the cops arrive, finally, and Cleo discovers that Mi Ling works for Stanley, and Stanley tricked her into working with a partner. Cleo uh, flies home. Now we get the highlight of the movie, is the, cl- the cops uh, flood into the destroyed casino. We see David lying out like a um, goddamn Michelangelo oh. statue in the wreckage of the casino, bandaged up, but with his abs, like, beautifully framed. Oh, just, yeah. He's just lounging there like a suave motherfucker because he thinks he's hot shit, and he's absolutely He is right. hot shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> You've been th- thank you for including this picture in the script because it is so important <laughs> to have a visual representation here. Um, but, yeah, every ab... Uh, is showing just his nipples are hidden by this bandage and i mean it looks like he was shot right above the heart i can't believe how well he's doing uh, right? 
he doesn't feel it. He's too suave to feel it. Um, yeah, I'll have to remember to post some uh, some pictures of David to the Instagram, and then Instagram will have our Instagram taken down because uh, it's too erotic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We've burnt down Instagram, unfortunately. Um, with some really strange lines at the end here, as Cleo discovers that uh, Meeling is in fact working with, I don't know, the agency, we'll call it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And she she says, my Stanley, our Stanley. And Cleo just basically looks to camera and goes, Stanley, (laughs) freeze frame. It was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, the Johnson brothers are clearly high as fuck in this scene. Yeah. yeah. Giggling away. I love it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And let's talk about the spinoff that we all deserve. Hong Kong Tactical Squad 7. Right. Uh, yeah, Meeling's operation out of the motorbike shop, like, it's so clearly, like, it, in a better world, this spin-off would have existed right alongside, uh, the Clio, uh, movie franchise, cause, oh, yeah. yeah, I, I want to see Meeling and David, uh, taking on crime and, uh, ruling over Hong Kong's, uh, uh underworld with their suave, uh, crime-busting ways. Yes, I mean, that sounds like an incredible team-up film. I, I I wish that this franchise had been more successful. Yeah. But I will say, David survives, Meeling survives, the Johnson brothers both survive. Mm-hmm. All the heroes get out of this movie alive, and that's pretty amazing. Like, we, we do lose Madalena, who is, you know, technically, I guess she's the she's the girl that flips. She's She's part of the baddies operation who then has to die because she helps the good guys and and that's a tired trope but all the people that that i thought were expendable uh all turned out to yeah i thought the same thing it was so shocking that everyone who i'd come to love actually made it through all the way so rare for that to happen felt good yeah now having said that maybe the stakes felt lower in this film there there was very little yep. uh, personal mission to this. It was all... I, I, well, I guess the personal mission is rescuing the Johnson brothers, but it also felt like they were doing just fine. Right. Um, and there was no... Like, I didn't feel like we were about to lose Melvin or Matthew at any point in this film. Maybe it no. would have been good if one of uh, Meeling's uh, uh, co- um, comrades had faced some more peril, but I wouldn't have wanted to lose David. That would have been crushing. So yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't know how they could have made it any better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but the ultimate bitter pill of this all, Cleopatra Jones does not return, at least not mm. in this form, but she may return. As we mentioned last time we recorded, uh, the Lovecraft ca- country writer Ihoma Ofodire has been charged with writing a script. This was in April of last year that this was announced in Deadline, so I would assume that script is pretty far along. There haven't been any announcements since, so I don't know what's going on with that, but it's so deserving of a reboot. Oh, absolutely. It would be so amazing. I mean, this movie just... It was another banger. It was so much more interesting than so many of the lamer Bond films and other spy-fi films. Uh, it has this viewpoint yeah. about women being strong and independently capable. Like, the women are saving the men in this film, which is so interesting. Uh, and, and yet, these women are stronger still when they're organized and they're working within a community. I, I just... I love that message. I think maybe the movie could have embraced that even more, but I, I think it was there. And I can, I, I think that this definitely deserves the reboot treatment. 
Shall we get into our highlights and lowlights? Yes, let's do it. What's your highlight for this uh, movie? I would say a casino fight that doesn't suck, particularly <laughs> after we watched Casino Royale pretty recently, the 1967 Casino Royale. This yes. was so refreshing, and it was so fun. They destroyed absolutely everything. You got to see every inch of the casino. Uh, I mean, we got to see boobs flashing by on the screen, <laughs> women kicking ass, David getting hurt. We got to see his abs. It was great. Loved it. <laughs> this, this whole movie is a highlight, but I loved the casino fight. Yeah, it definitely like immediately brought me back to memories of that uh, Casino Royale ending, and yet it sort of redeemed. Well, it didn't redeem that, but it 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 definitely sweetened the uh, the horror of that memory because yeah, mm-hmm. this is it's a very similar ending. Like it's a chaotic, all out brawl in a casino, but it's so good. <laughs> yeah, and how about for you? I'm going to give it to another fight scene in the movie, which is Meeling's apartment scrap oh, with her, yeah. her arms bound to her side. And again, I think there's some uh, generous use of a stunt person in a wig here, but we also get to see um, the actor herself throwing some high kicks and, and doing some great facial reactions. And just mm-hmm. seeing the, the this secondary uh, hero getting this hero moment was so good. The surprise that she wasn't actually going to die yeah. in, in this scene was so exciting it was <laughs> it was unexpected um let's talk about low lights though what what was the thing that uh, least affected you in this film so i'm going to say that this is definitely the the roger moore of cleopatra jones movies <laughs> um, it, it was a little more it was lighter and um one of the amazing things about the first cleopatra jones movie is that it, it was really serious about social issues mm-hmm. um it you know it, it dealt with the impact of drugs on a community um it dealt with racism it really sort of explored these ideas and this one is like no we're we're done with like thinking about things yeah, we're, we're, just we're here to have fun <laughs> yeah and and so we see a lot of poverty we see a, a lot of you know drugs um but we don't see those things tied together in any way we don't see the impact that this is having on on society and so that yeah, was and we don't hear cleo say anything about it either she just yeah. kind of exists in all of it and i should i guess you could say she kind of just exists in the first one and the social conversation is happening with other characters but i don't know it felt it felt more present you're right in yeah. cleopatra jones one uh, i would say for me that this film meanders a bit in the middle for just a little too long um i really really enjoyed this uh i i thought it was fun i would agree with you uh that it doesn't deal with those social issues in a way that it should uh but yeah for me that low light is just how saggy it got before it snapped (laughs) up again fashion highlight that we might need to set aside an hour um yeah okay start the timer um everything 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 i loved me ling's casino dress Mm -hmm. that cleo's floral purple satin jacket head wrap with emerald green pants that was um incredible and then we just talked about it that speed racer-esque white leather with red and white racing stripe uh and aviators that uh the boys wear at the end really love all of it how about for you it's so hard to narrow it down but Mm -hmm. i mean cleo's black widow outfit i love the the floral outfit as well melvin's orange suit whether with the jacket or without the jacket i forgot the the johnson's oh my god melvin's (laughs) orange suit i i absolutely love that i want that for myself i think my favorite mealing look apart from the casino look is her her 60s strawberry shortcake tennis skirt yes um very kicky but for me it has to ultimately go to to david's biker denim um i again have included a photo um in the show notes so i'll try to remember to upload it to instagram but he's wearing yeah this this ring neck t-shirt this 
blue denim shirt and these beautiful white flares. Um, the the sleeves are rolled back. He's got these lovely little leather biker gloves, fingerless gloves. This, uh, the sunglasses. The tight the T-shirt that has 88 on the front underneath, yeah. which I, I think I've seen in an anime. I, I almost want to say I've seen the main character wear it in Bleach, actually. <laughs> Oh, maybe. I mean, it's just, it's such an of its moment look and it's mm-hmm. so effortlessly cool and chic. And yeah, he, he wears it beautifully. Shall we talk about the queerest moment? <laughs> <laughs> because there's one, it's got to be the lesbian orgy. <laughs> yeah. There's a lesbian orgy, Harold. Um, <laughs> that's the queerest moment. The queer sex is the queerest moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, no discussion needed. What's the sexiest moment for you? So, I mean, it's interesting to note here, uh, Cleo does not have a love interest in this movie, which is, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense because she's in a, like, she's in a committed relationship with her boyfriend in the first movie and he's not here in this movie. Um, so actually, it's kind of another poke in the eye to James Bond that, like, no, she doesn't even think about courting anyone because I mean she doesn't she also doesn't mention her her boyfriend, her partner, um, which is sort of odd. But it's not like part of the story, nor does it need yeah. to be. So it's great that they don't include it in a way. But thankfully there is plenty of eye candy for us to oh, enjoy yes. nonetheless. And for me, David reclining in the rubble of the casino like a lost Michelangelo um <laughs> is going to stay with me forever. What about you? I mean, the moment that's going to stay with me is Melvin Johnson's ass. I absolutely enjoyed <laughs> watching that happen. Another unexpected moment. Uh, what's the best line or gag for you? Right up at the top. It had to be, if this tall black girl wants to throw her life away, it is no concern of ours. Was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go with, don't race your motor, baby. It's not leaving the garage. Oh, both fantastic moments <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. Um, how about the most timeless or relevant moment from the film for you, Andrew? Well, I mean, there is some implied sex trafficking going on in this movie, so that Mm, certainly feels uh, always relevant. But also just a white woman who just wants to fight a black woman. I mean, my God, Uh, I'm I'm on the internet. I see that every day. Right? Uh, (laughs) I basically wrote the same thing. I said, wealthy white women loving to uphold the patriarchy. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, do they. Boy, do they. Uh, What about the cringiest moment? I, I mean, we talked about it a lot. Another lesbian villain, really? Because they're the realest threat to society for some reason? I don't know. I, I don't understand the trope. I don't know why lesbians became the villains in spy in science fiction, spy fi. Um, but it is there, and it's yeah, it, it's too much. How about for you? You know, we do have this weird, difficult tension where we kind of love these queer villains, but we hate that they're the only representation like exactly but, but like bianca's a great character actually oh yeah um, we didn't talk enough about stella's performance it's like yeah. it is not over the top in the way that shelley's was uh she's she's so cool she's so menacing and she has so such uh i don't know verve about her but uh yeah the fact that it's all kind of shrouded in this she's evil because she likes women is yeah. uh, eh, uh, i don't like it <laughs> For me, the cringiest moment, I'm, I'm going to say that's because it doesn't really address social issues, but still has moments of casual racism. Mm, those, mm. those moments go unchallenged. Like, uh, it's very realistic, but it also was kind of, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Particularly for it to be coming from characters that we really like, right? That's yeah. the, always the most disappointing thing. I think we've unpacked all the, the major problematic elements of mm-hmm. this movie. Um, the Vespa list this time around, uh, Madalena, uh, it would get added to the canon if this were a Bond movie. So, yeah, she certainly gets uh, 
killed off to advance the the plot um and uh, and it's very tropey uh but now it is time for our ratings the first cleo movie scored six out of 007 the highest score available to a non-bond movie let's see how this sequel compares we'll each give the movie a score between one and three and then award bonus points from four categories bond song glamour and queerness but we'll start with our base scores what are you giving this film andrew it's so good. It's so close to perfect <laughs> mm-hmm. in so many ways. I can hear where this is going. It's going to be a two. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm going to agree. Uh, I'm not quite, I'm not totally satisfied with it being a two, but I'm not satisfied with it being a three either. Like it's a real, it's, it's like, it's definitely a great fun movie, but because the first one is so definite good. three. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it was always going to be hard to live up to that first one, um, and like I said at the top, I I was really, un- I was so happy that this was a fun, enjoyable film. Yes. It was so like interesting. Still, uh, it just didn't have. Uh, honestly, I think the, that lack of social commentary really brings it down a point uh, because yeah. that first one had such a viewpoint that this one kind of just assumes that we already know. And yeah, this one doesn't give really clear any interiority. Like the first one does explore her as a character and her relationship to the world. And here she's just this she's sort just of agent Joe. of chaos dropped yeah. into this world. Yeah. So yeah, I am also going to give it a two. A begrudging two. <laughs> we both know that we cannot give this a Bond point because James Bond does not appear in any way in this film. There's not even like a direct reference to him in this. No, film. I was expecting that, but no. The song we have playing with fire by unnamed female vocalists um that sticks in the craw a little bit the fact that we don't know who these the vocalists are but does the song itself get a point i mean <laughs> is it a little cliche derivative i loved it i am definitely giving it the song point <laughs> yeah me too just the, the whispered playing with fire playing with fire oh it's so, so glitzy. Uh, the, speaking of glitz, let's talk about the glamour. I am definitely giving it a glamour point. <laughs> I'm just writing down the scores for that one. It's like, yeah, no, obviously. Yeah. We talk, <laughs> the, like, the thing we've spent the most time talking about in detail is all of the fashion. <laughs> yeah. Queerness, this is a tricky one. Like, undeniably, this movie has a queer character in it, but also undeniably, she is completely villainous and mm. and no redeeming qualities there's no positive portrayals of queerness in this movie where do you where do you feel this one goes ah <sighs> oh, i mean i'm i'm struggling <laughs> clearly is what's happening yeah. here i i kind of want to give it the point because i kind of know you're not going to give it to the point should <laughs> should we split the difference so that this movie rates a little higher is is that how we're going to be political about our scoring system <laughs> I guess that's yeah, that's fair. We 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 say it every time we're corrupt. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely are. This is not a democracy. Um, but it, you I mean, can give it the point for the queer pre- representation, and I will take the point away for the uh, problematic nature of that. Perfect. I love it. That is the way it should work. <laughs> so this movie scores a four and a half. Yep, that's a four and a half. It is, you know, I guess significantly lower than the 006 out of 007. Uh, yeah. But I would say it is still a really fun film worth checking out. It's only like three ninety nine or four ninety nine dollars rental. So, yes. you know, do it. It's worth it. It's such a fun hour and a half. You won't regret it. 
Now, next time on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we are once again covering a fantastic film. We are going back to 2012, and we are watching Skyfall, starring Daniel Craig and Javier Bardem. Um, this is one of the Queer Bond movies. It's going to be a fun one to unpack. Yeah, we're really leaning into good, we're really leaning into recent, and we're really leaning into queer lately, and I'm all for that. And really leaning into Daniel Craig. Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on Twitter and Instagram at KKBBPod or send us the most lustrous of emails at KissKissBangBangPod at gmail.com. You can also follow our individual Twitter accounts. I'm at Wheeler and Shane is at Shane Came Back. And please share, like, rate and review Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on your preferred podcasting and social media platforms. Our graphics are provided by the Golden Touch of Carl Schurer. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Carl Schurer, C-A-R-L-S-H-U-R-A. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee and the Wendat peoples. We acknowledge that we are settlers on unceded territory. We like to end every episode with a great piece of Bond-related music. And Shane, what are we signing off with this week? I mean, I felt like I had to choose this song, right? It has less than a thousand views on YouTube. uh, And this movie and Cleopatra Jones just feel like such forgotten gems in our media landscape. Yeah, I said it. This song is even more derivative than You Only Live Twice (laughs) and Live and Let Die. But it still slaps, honestly. It is the title song from Cleopatra Jones and the Casino of Gold. It is unknown artist slash Dominic Frontiers playing with fire. It's great. It's so it, it's so groovy. I, I have danced around in my sitting room to this song uh, several times over the last few days. Uh, I love it. Yeah, me too. It is so fun. Um, please watch this movie. Please listen to our podcast and please tell your friends. <laughs> Thank you for listening, because until next time, kiss kiss, bang bang.